G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1. This particular lesson has a wonderful title. It's called, The Gift of Eternal Life. And it is based on John chapter 3, verses 10 to 21. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. What I want to do is read just a little excerpt from John chapter 3, and then we will go through the whole thing. It has to do with a discourse Jesus is giving to a Pharisee and leader of the Jews named Nicodemus, who came to visit Jesus by night because, well, he wanted to do this privately and not uh, engender any kind of criticism from his pharisaical colleagues. And Jesus then just takes this opportunity to launch a wonderful teaching on the new birth, something that Nicodemus is struggling to understand. He's saying, how can these things be? And Jesus will explain it to him. But I want to read to you just a few verses, starting with John chapter 14, or actually chapter 3, verse 14, and onward. And it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Wonderful verses from John chapter 3. And we're going to look at these verses one by one. But what we're going to see, first of all, is that Jesus has come into the world not to bring condemnation. Jesus came into the world to bring salvation. And because he did ratify our salvation from sin and from death and from hell itself through his sacrificial death on the cross— His atoning death, his death atoned for our sins. He paid the price in full. He went to the gallows, so to speak, though actually it was a cross, but he paid the death penalty for us so we could be set free. And of course, he does even more. He downloads to us his righteousness. Our faith purifies our hearts. We receive his righteousness, and so it's his righteousness in us that makes us acceptable to a holy, glorious, righteous God. Oh, and it's even more than that. It's a wonderful thing. Now, because condemnation is already in the world, as we learn from Romans 3, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the 
gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, by 323 actually says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've actually just quoted chapter 6, verse 23, one of the famous verses of the Bible. So sin, regardless how big or small, is enough to keep us from the kingdom of God. And we cannot earn our way into the kingdom. We cannot work our way. We cannot pay our way. We cannot do anything of our own. What we do is believe in the finished work that Christ did. Christ did it all. It is finished. He doesn't have to die again for our sins. He doesn't have to rise again. He will die no more. Death has no more dominion over him. He has risen and will stay risen forever and ever and ever. All we have to do is believe and receive. And when that happens, we pass from death to life. And that is amazing. But the fact is, if we reject the gift that God is offering willfully, it would be pretty much like being on the stricken Titanic and refusing a seat on the lifeboat. Well, if we stay with the Titanic, then our future is doomed. If we get in the lifeboat, then our future is assured. Salvation in Christ is very much like the metaphor of the lifeboat. It is there to keep us from destruction and from doom and from death and to safely get us to our desired haven. We need to say yes to this free gift. It's time to read the entire portion of our lesson. It's from John chapter 3, verses 10 to 21, the gift of eternal life. Let me read it to you, starting in verse 10 of John chapter 3. When Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest its deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. A reading is from John chapter 3, verses 10 to 21, and our lesson is titled, The Gift of Eternal Life. Friends, I can't think of a more wonderful gift 
than this. It's an assurance of a life in God, with God, in a place that is too wonderful for words. And we don't wait until the by and by for that life to begin. It actually begins the moment you first believe. Well, let's begin with verse 10 of John chapter 3. Nicodemus is absolutely blown away by Jesus' discourse on the new birth, about the wind, about being born of water and of the Spirit. And he says, how can these things be in verse 9? Here in verse 10, Jesus acts surprised. How can you be a master, teacher, and leader in Israel and not know or understand these things? If the Old Testament alludes to the new birth, then your ignorance, Nicodemus, is very, very surprising. And then in verse 11, Jesus says, We speak about what we know and see, but you, Nicodemus, do not accept our testimony. Now, Nicodemus didn't outright reject what Jesus was saying, but neither was he signing on the bottom line either. He was basically trying to process and do so out loud. Then Jesus says some more spiritual statements. In John 3.12, Jesus speaks of earthly things and says that Nicodemus is not buying any of it, not yet at least. So then if he doesn't accept the earthly things, how will Nicodemus believe when Jesus speaks of spiritual and heavenly things? Now, of course, the answer is you have to be born again. Because when you're born again, those heavenly and spiritual things become comprehensible. You can see clearly. Now, I know it's not a good analogy, but let's use whatever we can. Whether it's 3D glasses in the movie theater so you can see three-dimensional, or whether, for example, let's say you are sailing on a boat at the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, and at this point all you see is the water above the surface. Now, if you put on the mask and go into the water then you can see a whole lot more of what's below the surface than you can by just merely sitting on the boat. On the boat, you are oblivious to a whole range of intense activities happening underneath. You have to put on the mask. You have to put on the 3D glasses. The new birth helps you to see spiritual things from God that you wouldn't have been aware of without. So that's what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 13 of John 3, the heavenly man. Now, I know it's the title of a best-selling modern Christian book about a chap called Brother Yun from China, but truly, the heavenly man is Jesus. He is the Son of Man, the Son of God, and he has authority from heaven, and from heaven he came down. His authority is greater than any other because no man has ever been able to ascend to heaven. The only one that can ascend to heaven is the one that came down from heaven in the first place, and that's Jesus himself. That is part of the reason he's empowered to save us to the uttermost. Jesus is the true heavenly man. He's son of God, son of man, came down from heaven, ascended back to heaven, coming back again to this planet. He has covered all the bases, and he fills all in all. And then comes this amazing analogy. And let me read that verse to you. 
in verse 14 of John 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's verses 14 and 15. Jesus uses the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, which is found in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. Now remember the story is that the children of Israel were sending up a storm yet again, and then the serpents came and bit them and people were dying. It was a judgment. And so Moses cries out to God and God says, okay, fine, if you want to fix this mess, then make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever sees the bronze serpent on the pole, just by seeing the serpent, that person will live. Isn't that amazing? They don't have to do anything but see and believe. Now, what we know is this. Normally, serpents have a negative connotation in Scripture. For example, it's a serpent involved in the temptation of Eve in Genesis 3, and also the serpent is mentioned in Revelation 12:9. The serpent actually is called the old serpent, the devil, Satan, and so on. However, in this case, it's not a flesh-and-blood serpent, but one made of bronze. Bronze is a symbol of fire and of judgment. So what we see is the bronze serpent represents sin, and sin that has already been judged. The serpent on the pole is in a horizontal position, and by doing so, it actually represents the cross. Isn't that amazing? The pole is the main stake, and the serpent is the crossbeam. Those who are bitten by the vipers in the desert would have died, except they looked at the bronze serpent on the pole. Once you look, you're fine. That's all you needed to do to be healed. Indeed, the image of a serpent on a pole is that which is, of course, used in the medical world. When we talk about the healing of people medically, what do we see? A serpent on a pole. And, of course, they got that imagery from Numbers chapter 21. So just as the image of the serpent on the pole was necessary to gain healing, in the same manner, the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever sees him and believes in him won't just be healed, they will be saved and saved to the full. So verse 15 of John 3, believe and live like the serpent on the pole, looking and believing in the Son of God is enough to cease from perishing and to obtain eternal life. It's a wonderful verse in Isaiah 45 verse 22 where it reads, Isaiah forty-five twenty-two: Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Isn't that a wonderful reflection of what Jesus is teaching in John 3? Look unto me, and you will be saved. That's why we need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and the new birth enables us to do precisely that. Now, the next verse is the classic verse. It's John 3.16. I would call John 3.16 the key verse, not just of the Gospel of John, but of the entire Bible. (laughs) A key verse 
summarizes the content of a book pretty well. And I can't think of any verse that does that better than John 3, 16. It is the most famous verse of the Bible as well. It summarizes God's entire plan for humanity. God loved the world, evil and depraved as it is, so much that he gave his only begotten son. Now, whoever, be they Jew or Gentile, male or female, young or old, any shade, any color, any culture, any nation, whoever believes in him will never perish, but have the gift of eternal life. You know, there are some wonderful, great things found in John 3.16. Let me share them with you. God, he's the greatest giver. God so loved, is is the greatest of love. He so loved the world, this is the greatest field. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the greatest gift. That whosoever, and this is the greatest and most inclusive invitation in history, whosoever believes in him, This is the greatest faith. It's the only faith that can bring salvation, healing, deliverance from sin, deliverance from death, deliverance from hell, should not perish. This is the greatest escape. So whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And everlasting life, my friends, is the greatest life. So here we have this amazing teaching of the new birth, And the new birth leads us to salvation and leads us to the kingdom. Not only do we see the kingdom, we are able to enter into the kingdom. I mean, after all, it'd be rather distressing to see this glorious kingdom, but we cannot enter in. It is, of course, a wonderful thing to see the kingdom and to enter in and to know that this is your home forever and ever and ever. And remember, kingdom living begins when you believe. Now our lesson is entitled, The Gift of Eternal Life. And our lesson for life is this, come into the light of salvation in Christ and you will bypass darkness and condemnation. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.